Welcome back, pop culture theologians. It's me, your boy, John. And this week, we have a very special honorary guest, pop culture theologian, the one and only. You know her. She's on TikTok. She's all over the Tumblr still. Anjanette LaBeouf. Anjanette, hi. Hello. Hey, hey, hey. Um, We are so glad to have Anjanette with us. Marcy's taken the week off, um, but that doesn't stop um, me from bringing back my true Diana file, uh, Anjanette, uh, to come here and talk all things The Crown. But before we do, want to let all of our listeners who may be new know that um, we are the Pop Culture Theologians. We're um, two, um, in this case, we are many. uh, We are legion, to say the least. uh, Academics who love pop culture, who talk all things TV, movies, and find the religion in it and then just discuss it and write papers about it and never stop um, tweeting or TikToking about it. So we just want to thank our host site, The Engaged Gaze, um, for being there and making sure you check out our sister podcast, The Bible Bitches. Um, and you're following us on the social medias. You can follow the Pop Culture Theologians at Pop Theologians. You can follow me at jerickson 85 um, But Anjanette, you don't have a Twitter. I don't. I don't have a Twitter. Um, I do have an Instagram, Barcelona Ange, and I do have a, t- a TikTok, PhD Ange, A-N-J, where I do um, all the things. Twitter, I just can't, Twitter seems so encompassing of life, and I'm trying to reject certain technologies, and, t- and Twitter has become one of those. Well, when you watch The Social Dilemma, you're kind of like, I'm done with Facebook. So I hear, and Twitter, you kind of just want to get rid of it all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I don't have a TikTok officially. I just scroll videos on TikTok because it's the best thing that found uh, to take stress away in the middle of the night. TikTok is my saving grace during this pandemic. It is. And I learned how to cook some intense dishes as a result of TikTok. I've bought so many things from TikTok reviews and they haven't let me down. And it's been fabulous. This little I'm wearing a shirt that I found off of TikTok. I mean, TikTok, another form of capitalism. We must resist. We must resist. Um, Well, like with all good things, uh, there's been a lot going on. uh, And for all of our new listeners, um, this is also a podcast where we're covering The Crown, season four. Um, But ultimately, we do discuss a little bit of what's going on in the world, even though we are still all secluded in our quarantine lifestyle, living our best hashtag quarantine life. Um, But In the times of Corona. You know, times of Corona, what are we going to do? But Anjanette, what the happened this week? Oh my gosh. So just today, President-elect Biden and and Madam Vice President-elect Kamala Harris um, introduced their um, economic committee list and introduced to the world who they want. And the first ever female-led team and we'll have the first ever um, director of, of the state of treasury will be a woman. Janet as Yellen. well as they've also released last week that they will have an all female press release or press um, group, which is ridiculously awesome. And it's diverse. It's full of it's everyone. Super diverse. You know, this is the promise that they made and, you know, promises made, promises kept. I mean, truly, it is um, great to see 
um, more than just Nazis in the White House again. We're going to be getting right. actual public servants back, people that- You have educated people of color. You have educated second generation immigrants. Um, you, it's just phenomenal. It's so great. And I'm so excited. And how many it. of them are related to the president? None. Zero. <laughs> I mean, we, we do have a couple of like South Asians coming in in the mix. Um, and they've all also said like, we share similar backgrounds with Kamala. And I'm all like, yeah, let's bring in a South Asian posse into the White House instead of diversity into the White House. Right, instead of a Trump family gathering. I know, I know. Well, you know, along with the power of women that we've really discovered, um, you wanted to talk about an incredible essay that ties into the royal family. Yes. Um, one that, um, coincidentally enough, I'm rewatching Fringe because it's an incredible show. I don't know if anyone yes, watched is. it, um, but I like am doing the not the full rewatch. I'm doing like the the best episodes of Fringe you need to watch. And oh. of course, Meghan Markle was in one of the episodes because she's in season two. Um, I yes, I know. I was like, oh my god. Um, but she also revealed that she had a miscarriage in the New York Times. She did. And in July that she suffered uh, her miscarriage of her second child with Prince Harry. And the it was published as an op-ed in the New York Times and everyone um, took it on. And it's been a really interesting um, interplay with there have been a lot of secondary royal members that have spoken in support of Duchess of Sussex um, revelation because they themselves have also experienced um, miscarriage. So the Countess of Wessex, who is Prince Edward's wife, Sophie, experienced an entopic pregnancy, her first pregnancy and um, suffered a, and lost a, the baby. So she experienced it. Princess Anne's daughter, Zara um, Tyndall, has experienced mis miscarriage and um, problems with infertility. So she also has come out and in support of Meghan Markle and their revelation. But the article is so beautifully heart-wrenching and devastating and it captures both her experience as well as Prince Harry's experience about how one goes through the devastating loss of a miscarriage and a, of a child. And it was really interesting because it came on a pop culture level. Christy Teigen also suffered a very, very public miscarriage a, a couple months ago. And she has um, also stated in the last week that she's had to spend countless hours defending Meghan Markle to a bunch of trolls on the internet and how it was physically taxing for her because she's like, I just suffered it and I'm here trying to stop it from happening from another woman so that more trauma isn't happening. And it's created another discussion of race and, and women and how black women in this country are, are systematically more prone to miscarriages and infertility and, and trauma and the lack of healthcare when it comes to pregnancies and women's bodies in women of color is, is very, very real. 
And so this is a really important thing. And it's definitely just supposed because these are topics that were not a topic that were parts or were purview for the royal family to partake in. And so 20 years ago, this is not something that should have been shared or, or would have been shared. Um, it, they would have been admonished by the crown, by the establishment, and it shows the shifting change of where we are as a peoples and, and what we talk about, what we want to see in our leaders, in our I hate to say it in our royalty and our upper classes, but it shows that how different Megan, um, the Duchess of Sussex is compared to what we see in the crown, what we saw for the last 20 years um, and the change in the milieu of. Yeah, it's incredibly powerful. We encourage everyone to go read it. Um, if I can figure out how to put it in the show notes, I will. Um, but you know, uh, we stand Chrissy Teigen, um, for many reasons. Um, but she was incredibly public and so brave in what she was saying Mm -hmm. and, you know, destigmatizing, um, the, the hardships of childbirth, um, of miscarriages, of pregnancy, of infertility are, um, are things that everyone experiences. Um, uh, maybe not Amy Coney Barrett because she doesn't believe in it. Um, uh, you know. well, but like statistically women, we, all women have had a form of a, like if you've been in childbearing years that the statistics are, is that most women, it's like 85 to 90% of women will, ex- will experience a form of miscarriage. They might not even know it. Um, because it, that's just how our bodies work. And so we do need to destigmatize. So even those that are are producing massive amounts of children, like Amy Coney Barrett or the Duggars um, or the Bates, like all these people that are producing a bunch of babies, they're also will have experienced some form of pregnancy loss, early pregnancy loss. yeah. And, you know, it's just, it's incredibly powerful and we need more people speaking out about it. And, you know, I, men I and women and men and women, because, you know, while women go through it, um, you know, in more ways than men, of mm-hmm. course, um, you know, men standing as partners. And that's why Chrissy Teigen's husband, I mean, you know, even Prince, uh, Prince Harry in those ways, it just only further shows, I think, the way in which men can be supportive partners, um, supportive husbands, but men can talk about these issues and why, you know, it's a family and how difficult it is. And, uh, and, and men talking about grief and, and how they need to deal with it and, and experience it. Yeah, I know. Well, we're going to end the what the fucks of the week on a really congratulatory note. Um, so we are recording um, on December 1st. So happy early whatever holiday you celebrate in December. You mean the f- March, March Ember. March Ember, whatever. The ever I, lending I March of December. 2020. I hear it is in December. I have yet to confirm uh, that. Um, But congratulations to Elliot Page, who came out today. Um, He uh, is a trailblazer in every way, shape, and form. Um, Elliot goes by he, they pronouns. um, And, you know, starred in Juno, which is a movie that we'll all... (laughs) 
we've all watched. Um, and one of my favorite shows, The Umbrella Academy. So like, yeah. it's incredible, which is getting a season three, which my friend Seamus' sister wrote the entire second season. That's um, amazing. Yeah. And so, um, you know, like kick ass, you know. I mean, it's really important. Like we're the visibility and representation and openness, I think is we're still needing that. And it's still such a refreshing and awe-inspiring and celebratory thing to do. Yeah. Well, you know, talking about awe-inspiring, inspirational, um, hard-wrenching, Bibble babble, dibble babbles, um, as we have to. Um, I think this is a perfect time for us to get into episode two of the Crown season four, four, uh, titled the the Balmoral Test. Are you ready, Ange? Yes, I am. Okay, let's do it. Okay, so we're doing our episodes um, and how we talk about them. We're not going scene by scene because honestly, that's like. 30 episodes alone, especially when you get into some of the class dynamics that we're about to break down. Um, So we're doing our top five takeaways um, that we really believe in um, and want to talk a little bit more about um, because Anjanette and I have conferenced together, traveled together. She's held my hand on an airplane many times um, before I was uh, uh, very afraid of flying. Uh, It's no shock to any of you that we probably have a lot of the same thoughts. Um, But, you know, Anjanette, we're going to go with yours right away and talk about um, your first takeaway, which is this upper class habits versus this working class and the establishment versus the commoner theme that really plays out through um, many of the characters. You want to talk about that a little bit more? Sure. So this episode, we really get that um, breaking down of the the words they use is this upper class habits. And that's in because Margaret Thatcher is invited to a holiday at the Balmoral Castle in Scotland. And it's during the very British bank holiday, which we don't really celebrate here. It's the equivalent holiday. No, it's, it's like our equivalent of like Labor Day. Oh. Um, but it's, it's the English don't do it completely different than what we do here. Um, no comment. And so, and so they, so Margaret Thatcher for the first time since she was elected prime minister comes to the Balmoral castle for the, the holiday weekend and is wholly unprepared for what she experiences there. She doesn't bring, the right outfits, the right shoes. There's no concept. She doesn't understand the process. So it's very, very clear from the beginning of this episode that Margaret Thatcher is a different almost breed of people that have not been present in the prime ministerial arena that the crown has encountered and it's because she's coming from the working class and she's that's margaret thatcher to the uh the wick i guess very margaret thatcher margaret thatcher <laughs> and and so this it becomes very clear that you're seeing these two different worlds collide and how it collides and and why and it's indicative of what's happening in the larger scale of England at the time with the push and pull of modernization of bring going into the 20th and 21st century but keeping this traditional classic tea time 
the upper class dressing for dinner, going hunting. Um, the tip scene is something that gets me. He gives uh, the, the yes. service a tip right beforehand, Margaret Thatcher's husband. And they're like, oh no, like, you know, it's actually at the end you tip, which is so weird to me because like you tip in the rural household, but like, I don't know, whatever. Um, but then they're like, oh, but you know, there's a protocol sheet so you can go look at it and figure out everything you do because a lot of people don't get this way of life. And so when they right. come to these places, they're like, oh, they need literally a timetable. Right. And, and so they're thinking, one of my favorite scenes, I think, is it, that highlights this working class versus upper class habits is when they dress for dinner and they, and they see on the sheet that it says black tie and that there's tea time before um, drinks and cocktails and tea time before dinner. And so they go, because they're working class, they're thinking, okay, well, it's going all, we'll just dress for the whole entire night yeah. and they show up to tea time in their ball gown and their black tie and everyone's still in their hunting gear because that's not what it's you have tea time and then you go and you get dressed for dinner and then you come back for dinner prince and philip was so mad he's like um <laughs> you don't know he's like no we don't like that is not time we're gonna we're not eating dinner early it was so insane right but it's it's this embodiment of keeping tradition of keeping a way of life and it harkens to the fact that like they have no concept of that time is money yeah whereas for margaret thatcher time is money and wasting time getting dressed not getting dressed not being able to receive her correspondence look at her boxes receive telephone calls bothers her so much it does i mean as you and i like this is something that like i get asked all the time and i know you do too it's like we are workaholics you know but we have been raised in a life from you know middle class to work you know to take time off we always say like um you know it's really hard for us to unwind we need vacations from the vacations because we're not used to it um but you see the same thing and you know the dichotomy one of my, my favorite scene probably in the episode is when margaret's like peace out hunting mission and she like goes to do work and then um like she's sitting in the queen victoria chair yeah. and um uh princess uh margaret uh, margaret comes and she's so mad she's sitting in this chair, right? Because that's where um, her father sat, if I'm not mistaken. No, well, so it's, it's where Queen Victoria, no one sat in it because it was Queen Victoria's chair. And everyone knew it because everyone's been raised there. Exactly. And she's just sitting there doing work. She's like, I'm reading papers. And like her husband's reading the paper. And right. There's no sign that says like, this is Queen Victoria's chair. And I know. And then, but they have this interesting exchange where it's like, um, you know, she's like, well, maybe it's good to take a break. And Margaret's right. like, I find taking a break to be boring. Like, you know. Right. And then she says something about like, may, well, like it can give you perspective. And it was so odd because it's the upper class telling the working class, you need perspective on what matters. And what's bigger, what's the bigger picture? And Margaret's and, like, no. And then like the two scenes later, she's like, I got to go. There's an emergency. <laughs> I mean, how many times have we all used that excuse of, oh, something's happening. I got to go. You're like, I have to go. But like the, the sheer 
like look when she has to go hunting and she's wearing that blue dress uh, and, and they did, she did not bring outdoor shoes, but it's really setting you up into this different world. So you see the Margaret Thatcher who was, you know, raised, you know, from working class. Her father was a shopkeeper, you know, he was mayor of Grantham. So he was elected, but you know, he, you know, she was raised a traditional monarchist. So there's that, right. So she reveres the monarchy um, and she's never questioning like whether they should exist or not. But what she's trying to show is like, you know, for me, you know, I was raised this way to work and to earn everything I had and to be one of the quote unquote men, you know, in whatever way that was and to work all the time. And she, it just shows and what you're really trying to get across that, you know, uh, this establishment, you know, that you need to take August off. And she's like, what? Like take August off or whatever. It's insane. Well, and it also, it, it prepares you for where the crown goes in the future is the crown being merely symbolic and traditional and, and, but keeping that protected, that group of people, that tradition, that way of life protected, but understanding that that is no longer how the rest of the world or the rest of England or the United Kingdom functions. And that's, you know, Margaret Thatcher saying, hey, I, I respect the crown, but the crown is no longer running the people. Yeah. And I'm running the people. And, and that means, you know, Margaret Thatcher has a lot of things that she experiences in her tenure of the Falcon Wars that we see later on in the episodes or the miners strike that she, you know, I would think. The high unemployment, the highest. The high unemployment. Thing. You know, and that's just the thing. It's like, you know, and this is kind of like the monarchy exists because, you know, essentially they quote unquote allow it to. Like if they wanted to pull the the fiscal plug, they could, but they understand its purpose, which is the ultimate like character in the show. It's the crown, right? And the yeah. the character that the crown plays. And, you know, this is where, you know, and we, you know, went back and forth on this where the the queen and Thatcher actually have both very strong work ethics. Um, like they all, they both work very hard. We'll get to that episode where they talk about apartheid, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you're there yet because I know you're watching it currently. Um, and we'll get to why Anjanette's watching it because she is uh, team Princess Diana, um, as we all are, by the way. Um, this, is, this is the anti-Charles, anti-Camilla TikTok <laughs> resistance podcast. That's right. So um, that's our subheader. Um, but, uh, you know, understanding that even the queen has to take a day off you know, and that, you know, even in the earlier seasons with Claire Foy, when they're like, oh, she's, a, they've arranged for me to take a couple of weeks off. And for us people were like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> like <laughs> you're busy. Okay. Like, what are you doing? You can't, you have no power over anything. Like you, right. you're not supposed to express an opinion. You're symbolic. So I'm just like, take a few weeks off. Sure. Okay. Have fun. You know. Right. Well, and, and that's that's because that's where we are now. Like they can't express the, the royal households are admonished from ex, um, voicing their political concern, which was why when Meghan Markle comes into the royal family, that created such a stir because she's been very, very vocal in, in her political siding and leanings. And now that they've Megxit has happened and they're living now in the United States. Like they made a statement and they support yeah. they support Joe Biden. And that's unheard of for a, a member of the royal family to voice their political 
um, decision. And, and so it's really, yeah, they're more, the clean, the work ethic, I think, is a really important thing about how the, the Queen and Margaret Thatcher are almost like two sides of a different coin or maybe two that. sides of the same coin. And that's why they, they get so, in some sense, because the Queen does like to believe she's a feminist, whereas Margaret Thatcher is anti. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, that's why when Marcy and I discussed, like, you know, uh, the Queen's initial excitement over Thatcher mm-hmm. winning. She's like, oh, another woman in the house. And then, like, when they meet, and she's like, um, I don't want a woman in this job. Like, she's like, are you right. kidding me? Margaret Thatcher's like, they're too emotional. They're too emotional. Um, but that really goes into your one of your other points. It's like, shake up Thatcher style. Yeah. Like, there is, um, and I'll talk a little bit about this, like, the campiness of Gillian Anderson's portrayal oh, yeah. of Thatcher. Like, it is over the top. I'm obsessed with it. Like, I actually may go as Margaret Thatcher as Gillian Anderson as Margaret Thatcher for Halloween next year because like why not Um, but like Margaret Thatcher really comes in here and she blows everything up she sure does I mean so there's a line in episode two where she realizes that one of the the things she was struggling against in the cabinet that she created or that was given to her because of her, her party was very much this upper class old white dude club and she was after balmoral she kind of comes back realizing it's never going to work with that type of people and she fires a few people from the cabinet Um, and so she shakes things up and she brings people back in and it sets up for the next couple of episodes the contention or rising issues that Margaret Thatcher brings to the crown, to what happens in the United Kingdom. Because, I mean, Margaret Thatcher reigns. She's one of the longest running prime ministers in the United Kingdom. Did she beat Winston? No, Winston Winston Churchill's already dead by the time she comes in. No, 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 but like they both serve. I think those two are the longest serving. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, meaning the longest running. So she's, um, if I remember correctly, she's what, 1979? Give or take. um, And she leaves in... The 90s. 1990. Yeah. So, so, yeah, 1979 to 1990. And then she... 11 years, yeah. So, which is pretty impressive in the English um, to keep hold, especially during a lot of things. And she was Caesared in the end. Like they, like, uh, you know, if you don't know anything about Margaret Thatcher, it's that she was there with Reagan, with Gorbachev, with this huge rise of conservatism across Mm -hmm. the world, especially here in United States. Um, And to see her on the world stage was like, you look at it and you're like, oh, there's a woman, but actually, and it's like, and I was just having this conversation earlier today. It's like, when we talk about electing women, we're like, yeah, but we need like the right way. <laughs> we don't need people that are like anti, you know, abortion, anti, you know, all of these things. It's like, when we wanted more women on the Supreme Court, we did not mean Amy Coney Barrett. You know? <laughs> well, it's, and it's, it's the, it's the women that play to, they say they don't want to be part of the old guard, but they get into power and they become the old guard. Exactly. And they keep the power and, and they, they keep it for themselves. They do not open, they don't 
bring a, a, a hand to bring up other women. They, they close the door, basically. And Who's she's your favorite Thatcher? Is it Gillian Anderson, Meryl Streep? Like, oh. who are you loving? Wow. Because um, for me, it's Gillian right now. She's taken over for me. I think in in the in the level of camp and what she's doing for Thatcher, like and and that we can critique for many many years, you could not critique Margaret Thatcher, mm-hmm. and you could not because she was the only pri- female prime minister because of all these things that she did that were important, awful. I guess, and and, or, and awful. But but you couldn't because she was this, you know she was held on a pedestal but now that we have like a fantastic prime minister in jacinda arden in new zealand we see what a a good female prime minister can do we love her and so i think right now i like um jillian anderson for that reason um but do i i'm really interested to see what they do in the next season if they show the assassination attempt that happens in her life if they show her lack of failing during the minor strike no so they're done she's done i don't think she's in the next season no i heard that i thought they i saw that they they were going to bring a little bit in the first couple episodes of season five. Oh well even better because i cannot get enough of it i mean one thing that but I she's not gonna be the whole season of season five well one thing i found really interesting because i think we all know it, that main topic of season five is going to be i mean um you know i'm dreading it i'm i know i know but like you know the christian virtue between thatcher and the queen is a big part of their life they're both ways very religious very you know um you know when you understand religious you know ideology you know the woman serving dinner you know being a very Mm -hmm. dutiful wife it brought me back to the ways in which the first season where um you know to behave and behold or whatever that the queen says to Philip on their wedding vows. And mm-hmm. like Winston, yeah. Winston Churchill's like, what? Like, you know, and, and she, and they say she insisted that that was in there. Um, but they're both very Christianly Christian women. Right. And, you know, and they're, it they're just, both very British. They're both very British. They're in both different very ways. In different ways. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it, you know, and I think, you know, in terms of the performances, you know, Jillian Anderson is on my Emmy campaign strategy already because I just love her to pieces. But that's just the I'm th- that whole cast this this season really embodied a, a form of that of, of an essence of each of the who they are. Yeah. Um, because I, I was just watching some of the, how they embodied it, like Jillian Anderson as Margaret Thatcher. Some, there was ways that she would sit that I was just like, wow, like that's, that's or um, Josh, the actor that plays Prince Charles, the way that he would tuck his hands into the coat pockets or the hunch. he has the hunch as the, like, it, it, uh, I'm all for it. Yeah, season three was a warm-up to season four. Like, I know people didn't like season three. Like, I personally, I skip over it. I'll maybe watch it here or there. Um, But, you know, because I find this show very comforting. Uh, I don't know why. All British shows are comforting. Uh, All British. 
that like I couldn't actually get through seasons of Downton Abbey at the beginning because I would just fall asleep because I was so soothed by like. Do you the remember point. when you used to call it downtown? I called it Downtown Abbey, and you're like, John, it's Downton Abbey, and I'd be I, like, oh. I don't know if you remember the season that it was airing, and they spoiler alert, lady. Spoiler Sibley. alert. And I actively mourned while we were in grad school for like three weeks. Oh yeah, she wore black. She wore Anjanette wore a veil over her face. It also coincided with the death of Opie from Sons of Anarchy. Spoiler alert! Another great show. Spoiler alert! Like my world crumbled. Yeah, that's right. I remember you're like first Matthew and then Opie. What is going on in this world? They're all killing everyone that I love. And, and he then, wanted off the show. Like, that was the worst part about it. You're like, Julian Fellows, just pay him millions of dollars to stay on. You know, because like, you know, but the way they did it, but that's why Downton Abbey is a brilliant show because it, you know, and, you know. Well, and, uh, and it is completely and utterly fiction. Fiction. Yeah. Or is it? Whereas, <laughs> right. Whereas it's dealing with historic, pseudo-historical um, people material things with a level of fiction and drama and cinema, you know, cinema. So let's get on to uh, an issue that I uh, cannot really talk about because I, it bothers me, but you brought up the, the wounded stag theme hunt theme. So just, I think all the listeners know this. I hate hunting. I am not a hunter. I am from the Midwest. Um, I have a, problem with hunting i know i'm trying to eat less meat i i talked about this in our last season when i was covering um his dark materials when like the demons would get yes killed and i was or hurt and i have like these visceral reactions to animal cruelty because by the way animal cruelty is bad and you should be very nice uh to your animals but like you know i was like thinking about the stag this entire time while like it was limping around in that forest and just the art of like global hunting capitalism that we see, you know, and how they're like, Oh, that guy was there on vacation. It was all sport. Like there was such a critique on the upper class using hunting as sport. Whereas if you talk to other socioeconomic classes, cultural groups where hunting is a part of their history, their way of life. This is completely removed from that. And this is fully for sport, for leisure that, you know, and, and the person that this, the episode starts with the, the stag getting shot by a Japanese millionaire who's on a holiday and that then the, the stag goes into the, um, the, the, region the royal the territory. And, and then it becomes this hunt, the hunt for the stag. And ultimately Prince Philip bags it with the help of Diana, Lady Diana Spencer. And it, there, I felt such an overarching theme of what that meant and a foreshadowing of, of what Diana is to this establishment. As, well, as and that's a major theme in the creator of The Crown's other film, The Queen, when um, the queen is out there hunting this mm-hmm. 
uh, stag, this great horned stag that they haven't seen on um, the property in years. And here comes Diana, because she really is like yeah. the prize. You know, she is the prize. And Charles is this passive hunter, right? And, exactly. He's this and, predator to try and bring back a prey um, and the prize and be like, look, mummy, I did it. Yeah. Like, I, I, I did something for the crown. Aren't you happy? And then he's a spoiled, rotten child that doesn't know how to take care of his prize. Yeah. And, and there's such juxtaposition there because you see um, almost in reality, you know, Prince Philip um, or, you know, kill the stag and take mm -hmm. and take it out. Right. But you see, like, he is an outsider or was an outsider um, until he became an insider, kind of the first couple of seasons that we deal with on the crown. And now I think he really relates to Diana because he sees that she's actually from good breeding. Right. Because she actually has that whole background. I mean, she's not. Well, she's part of the peerage. Her father was the Earl of Spencer. I mean, her brother currently is the Earl of Spencer. Yeah. Because she was she had a title. She was Lady Diana Spencer. When she marries the cleaning lady, <laughs> right? The pseudo cleaning lady. Um, yeah. So she's part of the peerage. So she has that blood um, in, in a sense where, and that's the same thing with, with Philip is he had blood to allow him in, even though he might, he, he's not English. Yeah. He's Greek and. Um, and he was related to a whole bunch of Nazis. A little bit, yeah. A little, just a little, just a few. I mean, if we want to talk about Nazism in the royal family, we got to talk about Prince Edward because Ooh. Prince Edward and Wallace Simpson were full Ooh. on. Ooh, that's a whole nother podcast whole nother. to talk about. But they actually did explore that in season, what was it, season two or season three? I think it was season one. It's season one because yeah. um, that's the abdication. Yes, you know, um, and to go back on to like the ways in which Diana's prey, but you know, how we understand the royal family versus others, you know, because it isn't us versus them, is truly the title of the episode, the Balmoral Tests, right? Um, do you want to, could you just give us a little background on to what these, what the Balmoral Tests are, Anjanette? So the, Bal the, so the Balmoral Tests are, it's almost like a secret society of like those that They're are in society. the group know that when a new person arrives to the Balmoral Castle, there are certain things that the group, individuals that are there will do to see if this new visitor belongs there. And Margaret Thatcher and her husband fail at all the tests and they know it, they oh. know it. Failed miserably. <laughs> miserably. Multiple tests, multiple times. And they and know the test is coming. And they knew it, too. Right. Whereas Princess Lady Diana Spencer at the time, because she's not married yet. So Lady Diana Spencer, because she's part of the peerage, immediately knows, or we, we have this, the viewer doesn't really, if you don't know the histories of the royal family and, and who Diana is, you just assume she knows what's happening or she knew to ask. And so when she shows up for a different holiday, she comes prepared with all the right clothes, with all the right shoes. All I brought were, were walking shoes. Right. All I brought were outdoor shoes. Like, of course, that's what I'm going to bring to the Highlands of Scotland. Yes. Um, 
and she she can play all the parlor games that they play. Those are some disturbing parlor games. Which were weird, but they're I, so... I couldn't... I didn't follow it. Can you... Do we know what the ibble bibble dibbles of the bibble diddle mibble? So are? each person in the group um, has a number. And so when Princess Margaret calls a number, that number, she calls out Margaret Thatcher. Margaret Thatcher hadn't been following along and she doesn't know what's going on. And so she fails miserably. And you have to remember the order of the the round and so who was called first and so they each have and that's where you do the ibble dibble dibble it was so great because they're all like ibble bibble dibble of four dibble dibble blah blah blahs and then margaret thatcher's like one ibble (laughs) two ibble dibbles and i'm just like living i was living for it laughing so hard and i was like this woman gives zero fucks (laughs) And she's like, I wasn't paying attention. She goes, I'm so confused. Can someone talk to me about the Ibble Dibbles? Right. And so <laughs> it's, it's yeah, so Diana is able to pass that. She's charming. Everyone's Most sees. successful Balmoral test ever. As, and uh, even Charles calls Camilla and t- says that she was a triumph. She was a triumph. Everyone loves her. And, you know, that, that leads us into, you know, one of our, you know, the most important discussion. And I, are you emotionally ready for this? I guess. Okay. So I called this in our outline, the worst three-way in history, Charles, Diana, and Camilla, which it really is. But I would also, I would add that it might be a foursome because you got to- The worst four-way in history, the royal family. The (laughs) The crown, crown. Charles, Diana, and Camilla. Um, And Marcy explained- uh, this in the last episode, um, and she talked about how um, communities of color and immigrant families actually really, really relate to Princess Diana in a different way. Where, and I know you, um, being Latinx and Jeanette, like, was your family very much like Prince Charles is the scum of the earth? We so, hate Camilla. Were you raised this, in this? This is this the world? interesting thing: is my Spanish family because we were in the rural farmlands of California, my mother's side of the family weren't really Diana or the royalty. Where I get my love is because my paternal grandparents were Canadian and Canada is part of the Commonwealth of the United Kingdom. And I was, so it's, it was ingrained in me from, from very much. And I'm, which is, it's a real, interesting interplay because my grandmother's Irish and so we're like borderline anti-establishment Which because grandma? of my um my paternal grandmother your so dad's mom okay yeah Patricia Donovan Patricia and Patricia Patricia and so they're very they were in a sense very anti-establishment because of all of the happenings of Ireland and the horrendous treatment by the British crown to the Irish specifically Margaret Thatcher Right. Well, before that, because yeah, before like my that. family, my Irish family were forced to leave during the Great Potato Famine. And so in the, the great mass migration of the Irish people. And so I have that little bit of like, oh, the, the establishment, the crown, the queen. But then as a Canadian, it's like, no, these are these are my peoples. And I was a full on Diana. I still am a Diana. Um she was the first member of the royal family I remember seeing growing up, you know. I mean, I remember where I was when she died. Do you? 
Oh yes, I do. Spoiler I alert! Spoiler every, alert! I know every we all know. moment Everyone knows. of that night, um, and I remember waking up early to watch her funeral. Um, I remember being in mourning. I I had as a child growing up. I had paper dolls of her with all of her outfits. And I also had paper dolls of Wallace Simpson. So I, I'm very ingrained into the royal family. I still am. I follow all the royal accounts on Instagram, all the fan do. accounts. Of course you do. I, and that's where me and Marcy, we, we converse over the interwebs of our love and hatred and critiquing of the royal family. So it's really jarring in this episode because it's like Diana is just like this trophy that he brings up there and he's like well I guess I have to marry her now because she is the most successful she's 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 a triumph she's she's the 10 point stag yeah I mean she's perfect and you know you can already see Camilla being like well of course you do but like being jealous in a way right and you know but it's like Charles is like telling Camilla all this information Um, And, you know, they have these conversations and we already are seeing, you know, him set up into a world where, you know, he doesn't get the love and praise he thinks he deserves. He only gets it from Camilla. And that's the constant fight that he has to endure with all these people. Well, and it plays into that at no moment of that the courtship between Charles and Diana the marriage of child, you know, Charles and Diana, they were always, and she said it herself in interviews that there was always a third party in her marriage. And that on top of that, there was always the establishment and the crown dictating how they, they lived, what they lived. And she was always pushing against that. And for me, one of the things that was really um, hard to watch was the shocking, like you see it and I, I knew it, but to see how young Diana, like she was 20 when she married a 33 year old. I know. Um, and Charles is having an affair with a mother of two. Like she has two children before he even is entertains the idea of Diana. Yeah, and and essentially, you know, as we all learn later on, it's that Camilla was actually in, you know, she had a different understanding of her marriage, right? She actually, I think, loved her husband in that way. I guess. What, I guess, whatever it was. But I mean, I'm so you know, anti-Camilla. <laughs> I know. I mean, first of all, I mean, this is where we welcome the resistance in, you know, to, to really bring forward. It's the, it's the anti-Camilla, anti-Charles TikTok resistance brigade. I've never forgotten I have never moved on. Never forget. Um, no, I've never, never, never. Nor should you. I mean, and this season, like I hadn't, um, people binged it really quickly. I like saved it. Like I was like, okay, right. I need to save it a couple of times. You know, I was like, because uh, this show is so good, right? And we right. know it's a finite amount. We're getting seven seasons, I think. Right. Well, they they have to end it. They have to end it, right? right you know, at some point. Um, or do they? Uh, um, the crown, I mean, if you the younger. Prolong it enough, you can keep, like. It's like with Game of Thrones. Like, they'll just, like, come back before this and be like, oh, we're going to do all this. They'll just wait a couple of years, get some more source material, and then come exactly. back. Exactly. The crown, the hidden years, or something. And, you know, but, like, 
like I'll just say it. Uh, Charles and Camilla suck. Oh, completely. Like Diana is perfect. So here's the th- here's the other thing is that for all I what I enjoyed uh, in the later episodes, but in this first ep- episode two you really see that Charles doesn't really know what he wants. And in the next episode, it comes to a head of like, he says he thinks he wants this, but when it comes to it, that's not actually what he really wants. And he doesn't know how to to handle it. And there is no room. Like he doesn't allow for Diana to take the position that she's being offered. And it's so heartbreaking. And there's a, there's a, um, there's a scene in the next episode that is just so poignant with Prince Philip about who she, what Diana is. And she's just this breath of fresh air and she could have done so many things for the crown and the establishment. And she's, her legacy, especially see this in Harry and, and, and Megan and how, you know, Harry has made a decision that I think his father did not have the guts and the chutzpah to do and said, you know what, I'm not going to let the establishment destroy this beautiful thing that I have. Yeah, and also he's like, I'm never becoming king. So like deuces. Right. <laughs> Peace. I'm out. Like my, my big bro already has already secured the line three times over. I'm good. Kind of a thing. Um, but it, I, it's really, it's really interesting. The Balmoral tests. I think it also is a test of Charles. It shows that yes, he wants the crown, but ultimately, I think the writers and and what they're trying to show is that Charles is not fit for the crown. And I think that's a lot of generations. That's where we've been at. Is that we don't. <laughs> Charles, if we could all pass that and go straight to William, that might be a great. I mean, look, there's that theory out there where the queen's just like holding on, you know, Charles doesn't ever become king. And then we just give it to William. I'm fine with that. Let's just. I'm totally fine with that. Like, you know, and I can't, I mean, there is a different level of like respect for her sons, I think, in many ways than as we see Diana's sons, because you see the different types of motherhood and we're going to talk about that and what that means and in relationship to this. But like Diana brings a whole different perspective of what love should be within a family. Right. And we don't fully, even to this day, like the real Prince Charles, we don't fully know what he stands for. Like, what does he do? Like, what is, what is he going to bring to the crown if he's given it? Like William has done a lot in real life to show that he's all about mental health. He's like him and Kate have done a lot to try and show that they're trying to be a modern version of the crown. Whereas Charles is like, yeah, it's great and all for him to do. He's done some gardening yeah. He's brought back certain things in Cronwall that um are great and all, but I, I struggle with I'm like, what would you do with the with that? Like what would you do once you get the crown? And the show, especially in episode two, really shows that 
he struggles under the weight of the ex expectations of being the heir and being an heir to a formidable woman who is the everlasting bunny. Like she is not showing signs of being weary. <laughs> Knock on whatever would. I mean, seriously, as we report. Like her and Philip are just going to. I mean, but honestly, like when you live those lives, like, and you can take a whole month of August off. Right. <laughs> right and, and you, you know, you, you wake up and someone has your breakfast already ready and. If someone woke me up every day with a cup of tea, I'd be like, oh, this is so lovely, you know? Right, and and pull down my bed and, and then make it. I mean, my Lord, of course I would live to 93. Would you pass the Balmoral tests? I would like to say yes, because I watch so many British shows. Um, and I was raised, I was raised so much. I, I was a Princess Diana kid. Um, she was my princess. She was, um, and the royal family, like, I, I remember watching Fergie's wedding. I remember watching, or Prince Andrews and Sarah Ferguson. We don't talk about Prince Andrew. I mean, he's horrible. But I also remember watching Prince Edward's wedding to Sophie, the Countess of Wessex. And I watched Harry's and I watched Will's. And so I would like to think that I would pass maybe two of the four. I would. Totally I don't know if I'd pass all of them just because. I would lose at the ibble dibble dibbles. I might be able to follow a little bit. I, I would totally pass. I would fail at the like stalking at five o'clock in the morning. I know that. No, thank you. No. And like you would fail at the hunting. I probably would fail at the hunting as well. But being yeah. outside where it was like muddy and rainy and no, also for, like just... hours, I'd be like, nah. No, no, thank you. No. Well, you know, I, you know, every episode this season, um, there are a lot of bangers. This one definitely really set out a lot of tones that I think come out through the rest of the show. There is a cohesive story throughout this entire yeah. season, which is incredible because last season it felt really disjointed. I feel like um, there's even like three. There's, yeah. there's three themes that they're really interwoving, you know, interweaving together. Yeah. And so, you know, and here we are, we're going to be here discussing the crown, the rest of the season, you're going to come back, you're going to be back for episode three. Um, but Anjanette, you know, I think that when we think about the Belmoral test, we both can say that we probably would get maybe passing remarks. Oh, yeah, we'd, we'd probably get invited back on um, a, an advisory note like on a work like, visa they'd be like you can come back but only if you help us in the state right and 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 then we'd probably be like but you also need to take some classes before yeah, you come like, back uh you need to figure your shit out and be like um, okay let me see some more episodes of downton abbey and i will follow everything of violet and <laughs> lady mary exactly exactly well maybe I'll, I'll actually become lady edith and and because she's still Lady Edith with the googly eyes, though. The <laughs> no, best Lady Tumblr Edith account. is married to the Marquise of Hexham. Oh, whatever it is. Well, listeners, 
Um, we wonder if you would pass the Balmoral test. So let us know. Um, but want to thank Anne Jeanette for coming on the show. Um, we'll be back uh, next time with episode three of season four of The Crown. It's called The Fairy um, Tale. It's about the ooh, wedding. The wedding. Everyone watch that wedding. We'll have a lot to discuss, um, including that train. Um, but also the music in that episode is phenomenal. Um, it's also TikTok. I mean, TikTok's going to love Also TikTok. But with that, listeners, um, we will talk to you soon and see you later. <laughs>